Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the No Fluff actionable marketing podcast for people who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Cornier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to identify the pain points of your best customers and turn those into content pieces that drives conversions, that drives leads, and that drives sales. Uh, my guest today is the co-founder of Grow and Convert, which is a fully done for you content marketing agency. They produce blog articles, they drive traffic to them, and they even generate leads, which is a novel idea in content marketing. We'll talk about that in, in the next few minutes. Uh, they have a huge track record. They work with Patreon, Conmantor, Peer Street, Pilot, Modern Web, to name a few. And I'm super happy to have you on board, Benji Hayam. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I mentioned in the intro something interesting, right? Uh, you've changed the positioning of your agency recently to, to go, uh, and, and you made a move that is, I would say, daring in the industry that, that, that is content marketing. You say that your content actually generates sales and, and leads. Why is it uh, such a, a novel idea? Uh, because most agencies don't track that. That was something that I learned when I was running marketing for a previous startup that I worked at. Basically, the challenge that I had was I was internal, running marketing, wanting to do content marketing as a channel and saw it as a big opportunity because the people in the space that I was in, which was software development, weren't doing it well. And I tried to hire multiple agencies and I interviewed maybe eight to 10 different content marketing agencies and realized that most of them were just kind of glorified writing services. And so when it came down to the conversation of what results will it drive, none of them had a good answer to that. And most of the agencies were focused on output. So when we started the business, that was a problem that we wanted to solve for was how do we actually drive measurable ROI? And then also how do we track that? So that was probably one of the first problems that we had to solve was just measurement. Yeah, and it's amazing that so many freelancers and agencies get away with this, right? So why do you think, before we go into a kind of a step-by-step -step to, to uncover pain points and, and write about them and generate leads, why do you think we still don't see that many content marketing experts talking about this openly, saying that it actually generates sales and revenue? Because I think people use the excuse that measurement is difficult as a reason to just not measure at all. And so having been in-house before, the common, I guess, the common excuse is that, look, traffic is increasing and some subset of the traffic will convert. I don't know the exact percentage, but it's working. And that's kind of the, the common narrative that marketers use and, and agencies use as well. And so they, they use the excuse that it's content is difficult to track. You don't know the full ROI, such as you can't measure someone reading a blog post, telling their friend about it, having that person convert. Uh, there's all these different things that you just can't measure. So kind of why measure at all is, is kind of the common narrative. And we just think differently. It's like one of the challenges as an agency is how do you keep your clients, you know? And so if you're not measuring the results and all you're showing is a traffic increase, eventually I think you're going to have the conversation with either a CMO or a CEO of what is this actually driving, especially with a high price service like we have. Um, so we want, yes, measurement isn't perfect and there's no perfect science to, to measure every single attributable lead, but we can definitely see a lower limit of what we're able to, to drive. And, and that gives us a good benchmark in terms of 
our results. And it does give us an overview of the results we're able to drive. And the, the, the key term here is lower limit. And this is very interesting because like marketers have imperfect data, first of all, right? So you never have full picture of the funnel. It's never going to happen even with the best technology possible around attribution and whatnot. The, the, what you said is interesting because with just a basic Google Analytics setup, for example, you can, using first touch attribution or even last touch attribution, you can say at the bare minimum, this, those blog posts generated leads, X number of leads each, right? And you, you hold yourself accountable to that. And then the rest is kind of a, bonus um it's the same as any other channel so like ads same thing so you're able to see roi but you're not able to see whether someone saw an ad told their friend about it all the word of mouth effect it's the same thing however for some reason people think of content differently and they don't measure things the same way it really didn't make sense to me all right so we've talked about the problem a bit and, and the problem with content marketing now let's Let's do the opposite and, and let's let's solve it. Before that, before we go into the step-by-step, step, the last question I want to ask briefly is, do you think content is easier to say or, or you know, is it going to disappear in the next five years? Yeah, I don't think content's going anywhere. Written and video or whatever the channel is, podcasting, I, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I think the last 10 years, people keep saying video is the next big thing and written content's going to die. And then I think the last few years, people keep saying podcasting is the next big thing and and written content is going to die. I don't view content by channel, really. I I think it's what's more important is what you have to say. And then then you figure out what channel is best to get this message across. And and, and so, yeah, I don't think one medium is going to cannibalize another. I just think you kind of have to figure out what you want to say first, what you have unique that is different than everyone else in the industry, and then figure out an opportunity in the channel of, of how to do that. And, and I also think you play to your strengths. So my strengths are, are more on the written side. Writing helps me clarify my thoughts. So I prefer writing over going into YouTube or, or, or podcasting. And so that's just our competitive advantage. That doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for someone to do explain content marketing on YouTube or through podcasting. I think all of these channels are are great and they all have their purpose. But I think what's more important is the message behind the medium. And and one thing that is interesting here that people tend to forget with written content is every content, whatever the channel or the format, starts with written content, or at least should, right? I mean, very much like this episode. I have an outline roughly of what I want to talk to you about. It's in written form. When you do YouTube videos, the outline, you want like it it all starts with an outline with research. And whether you write a fully fledged article or, or, or something else doesn't matter. But I think the writing is still the basis of, of everything else. Uh, with that said, let's move on to step by step. Sure. Really trying to 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 fulfill the promise of at the start of the episode that I mentioned, right? So you have a few case studies, a few mentioning this very particular point which is you know you want to identify the pain points of your of your prospective customer you want to write about it even though sometimes you have no proof beyond knowing that it's a pain point you have no proof that there is volume for it people search for it and yet you write about it and yet it generates leads so that's kind of the promise let's take an example fictitious or not uh whether you want to use a real example or not doesn't matter but let's say that we start to work together you know, I'm, I'm the CMO or the CEO of, of this company. You can pick whether it's B2C, B2B, 
doesn't really matter. Although you might make a point that if it's if it's a, a small product that people don't think about too much, it doesn't really content marketing won't necessarily be a fit. But let's take a, that as a starting point. They have a blog, doesn't perform that well. The typical scenario. What will be step number one to turn pain points into content that actually sells? Yeah. So at the beginning of every engagement, it starts with customer research. Um, the reason we start with customer research is we realize that the way most people are just choosing topics were kind of coming up with a keyword list that was generally on the topic that they were interested in going after and typically sorting by volume and then trying to grow traffic. And again, hoping some set, subset of the traffic they generated generated leads. The, the problem with that is there's a lot of nuances in terms of what questions customers have, what pain points they have that would lead your product or service to being the best solution for them. And so customer research and understanding in depth who is the buyer and what are their specific pain points is essential to figuring out what keywords to go after that would generate conversions for for a company. So how do you do that? Yeah. So our process is, well, Pre-COVID, we used to fly out to, to the company and sit down with multiple people on the team. So anyone who interacts with the customers face-to-face. Uh, -face. So salespeople, really great people to chat with. Customer success uh, or customer support, those people interact with uh, the customer on a daily basis. Typically the executive team, so the CMO, uh, the CEO, potentially a COO, and we basically ask them a set of questions. So for the sales team, some example questions would be, tell me about uh, the last three good sales calls you had. Who were these people inside of the company? Why did you think that they were good sales? Were there specific features that they were looking for or specific pain points that they had that indicated that they would be a good customer? We do the same thing with the, the customer success team. Tell me about someone who recently closed are they finding value from the product or the service? What features are they using? And there's a combination of just a ton of these questions that we ask. And what we're looking for is patterns in the responses across multiple teams. Oftentimes, part of the challenge that we found is that many of the, the teams inside of a company are siloed and they're not sharing information about the customer. They're not sharing their learnings. And so getting all these people talking and kind of hashing out a lot of these, these questions together and then looking for patterns in the responses uh, leads us to figure out who we should focus on, what the primary use case is, what are the, the top pain points these customers face, what are the top questions that they have. And that helps us back into what keywords and topics we should go after. As you mentioned earlier, you charge a decent amount for your services, right? I mean, it's not like a 500 euro a month, Fiverr gig type of thing, right? Yep. So the people who can afford you are usually companies that are semi-established. They either have massive funding behind them or they make good money to be able to afford you, right? And yep. yet, from your process, it seems like you do their, the marketing, their marketing job that they haven't done properly, which is... They don't know their pain points. They don't know the key questions and all of that. Is that a fair, accurate summary or am I reading something that shouldn't? No, I think that's fair. I wouldn't say that they don't know anything. They just typically haven't gone through this exercise. I realized this when I worked at the previous startups that I worked at, that no one 
unless the marketer owns it, so unless the head of marketing owns this or some other marketer on the marketing team, just this customer research process, it never gets done. What happens is companies make assumptions about who their customer is and they kind of create these personas based on a few of their first customers and they don't really get in depth and and they kind of just come up with these hypotheticals of who they think their customer is. And then that's kind of what's shared throughout the company. So marketing shares this to the sales team. This is our buyer persona, the CEO, like everyone kind of just comes up with this assumption on who the customer is. And they never really go dig into the the data or, or talk to their customers to really figure out if their assumptions hold true. And I think that is one of the core problems that I saw just in marketing in general. And so when it came to doing content marketing for these different companies, we thought this is the best starting point because if the company hasn't done this well and we're just kind of trusting the company on their personas and then trying to use their hypotheticals that haven't really been proven, then it's going to steer us in the wrong direction. So yes, we wanted to run through our own customer research process. So even if the, co- the company said, this is who our, our customer is, we could validate that through data from their CRM. So like actually quantitative and qualitative data. Um, okay, we- so yeah, let's ahead. stop here because there's a lot that you said that we need to unpack, right? So yep. as you said, the first thing you do is you talk to people internally. So customer success, sales, leadership, whoever has direct contact with customers. And you ask interesting questions and maybe we can we can dive into just a few more uh, together. Talk to us about the last three good sales calls that, that you had. I found that interesting because you rely on, on their memory from a recent past and you don't like make them come up with shitty stuff they vaguely remember, right? So it's like the, la- the last three calls. Uh, who, who were they? Why? What are the pain points? Then you look at patterns in the responses across the teams because most of them are siloed. You look at primary use cases. And yeah, I'll give you a lot more questions because I think that'll help. Go ahead. The first thing that we really dig into, what is the founding story? This is actually really interesting because I find that companies that solved their own problem in some way, learning their founding story really gives you the motivation behind why the company exists. And that, that unveils a lot about the pain points the motivation of the founder, and then trying to understand how this compares to the rest of the competitive landscape. So we, we dig into the next question we typically ask after the founding story is, what do you feel like your competitive advantage is versus all the other companies that exist? And if they can't answer that question, it's going to be a very, very difficult time on marketing. So we actually get into a lot of this stuff on our sales call, just digging into the founding story to and and learning their competitive advantages and who their competition is just to qualify them. Because if we don't feel like they have a strong founding story or very strong competitive advantages, all, all the content marketing or marketing in the world isn't going to solve those problems. And so that's kind of the first things that we really dig into. Uh, once we feel like we have a really good understanding of why they exist and what their strengths are, and for SaaS products, potentially what features people come in for, like. It's interesting in SaaS products, there's always a lot of, there's a huge feature set typically, but there's almost always one or two features within that entire feature set that accounts for the majority of the reason why people sign up. And so from a content marketing or marketing perspective, 
understanding those features specifically and why they buy, that's where we would focus on to do all the marketing is probably just driving awareness of those specific feature sets versus trying to market the entire product for features that they might not be as strong on um, compared to yeah. the competition, et cetera. So it's because you don't want to dilute the message, which is something that in marketing is, is kind of a plague, which is this, this, this willingness to try to share everything because they think everything is so interesting. Well, in fact, exactly as you said, there's one or two features top that actually people come to and it strengthens it strengthen the message to focus on one. And, and you said it at the start, you need to leverage your strengths, which also means that you shouldn't worry about your weaknesses, meaning you need to double down on your strengths and don't worry about your weaknesses because you can't be good at everything. And yeah. um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So the founding story and, and those features, like you, you would ask the founder, the CEO, obviously, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So... Usually people make assumptions, as you said, about their persona. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of my biggest pet peeves as well. People going into boardroom for three hours, coming up with fucking persona that don't mean anything. They're just, you know, their psyche, just random stuff. And then exactly as you said, it, it starts to become this sort of gospel internally where everyone shares that and thinks this is it. But in fact, it, it, it's usually not. And it's not specific or it's plain wrong. It just it's just a plague uh, in the marketing world. So I'm glad you mentioned interviewing customers, uh, interviewing your sales team and, and people internally. Do you also then uh, interview customers yourself? Yes, if, if we have the ability to. So I'll, oftentimes the customer interviews come from after we engage with the company. Uh, a, a big part of our content strategy is case studying customers or sharing customer stories. And so during the engagement, we typically interview a lot of customers and that kind of just builds the wealth of knowledge as we're going. And so the so there, there's a couple things we do. In, in the beginning, we send over a worksheet, which kind of gets all this data. So we would basically try to get access to their CRM so that we can, we can basically look through all, all the da data of customers. So see if people have signed up for specific plan types, or see the specific titles and try to narrow it down that way. And so just looking at raw data and trying to make sense of it. And then we couple that with the, the qualitative stuff that we get on from these sales calls, customer success calls, talking to different people on the marketing side and try to pair the two to figure out where we should focus. So let's, let's go a little bit deeper on the CRM side and then we can move on to the next step, which is what information do you look into? How do you slice the data? Do you look at number of customers, uh, average value per customer, average deal size, or average time to convert? What, what do you yeah, typically so look into? It, it, it depends on the business model. So on the, the service side, that kind of customer information isn't as valuable because the customer numbers are so much smaller. So if we're, if we're talking about an agency, they typically probably only have 20, 30, 100 total clients. And so what we're more interested in is, is the qualitative feedback. For SaaS companies that have thousands of customers, yes, then we would, we would try to dig into, if they have multiple plans, where, where do, which plan do most of the people sign up for? Which plan is most profitable for the company? Which plan has the lowest customer support headaches? Which plan is the most profitable for the company? And then same thing, are there specific features that people are using? What else? Yeah, that, that's kind of typically what, what we're getting into on the front end, just looking at that kind of stuff. And then who is the buyer? Um, so looking at titles of the people who've bought and then 
trying to come to some consensus on on where it, where it makes sense to focus there. So, for example, if we come to the conclusion that everyone has or major eighty percent of the customers have signed up for the smaller plan, then when we talk to the sales team and and other people, we we want to figure out what are the pain points that those people on the smaller plan have and, and, and try to make sense of that. Because if, if 80% of the people are on that plan, we're probably going to want to just try to grow that plan size as opposed to try, like, trying to move up market or trying to go after a completely different customer just because it's already proven that they can sell to this specific segment of customers. And so from our perspective, it makes more sense to try to accelerate that growth than to try to go after a completely new customer base. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does, it does. So on the service side, typically don't have that many customers. So you look at the qualitative side, as we, as we mentioned, for SaaS companies that tend to have way more customers, you look at the plans, and most people sign up, are those profitable? Which, one, which ones are the most uh, profitable? Uh, which ones have the lowest customer support headaches, as you mentioned? Which features are they using? Who is the buyer? What title do they have? Like firmographics data as well. And yep. so then you combine the two, right? And, and I wouldn't say, I, I mean, maybe there is, but I wouldn't say it's a process that you follow every single time with every single, with the same number of steps or whatever, because it's it's got ad hoc, right? You have so many yeah. different possibilities. But what is the... In the end goal, there's no, there's no right answer to. Basically what you're getting to is then a hypothesis of where you should focus. And so you're yeah. still not done. It's no perfect science in, in terms of you run through this process and you have the complete right answer of this is who I should focus on. You, you basically have a set of hypotheses in terms of, oh, that's interesting. These pain points keep coming up multiple times. Th this person inside the company seems to be the buyer more often than not. And then we basically take all this information and come up with a set of hypotheses, ideas of, of content pieces that we think will work. And then at the beginning of the engagement, we spread, we spread our bets. And so we might have a few different content types or a few different keywords around these pain points that we'll test. And then once we start driving traffic to those and we get some data, we'll start doubling down on things that are working. I can see, I can see your interest in investing in general and all of that. I can see the, the, the psyche behind making bets and hypothesis and, 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 and having a healthy portfolio of risky bets versus not so risky. It's interesting to, to, to hear you talk about this. But so before we move on to, before we talk about actually having the content ready, uh, there's a step in between, right? Which is like those pain points. And you talk, you, you talk about it to be like pain points SEO. So pain points, search engine optimization, basically making people when people search for the pain points that they suffer from, making sure that, that they found you. So what is the end result once you do all of this qual and, and quantitative res uh, research? How does it look like when it comes to those hypotheses, like the pain points? And maybe you can give me a few examples of what you mean by a pain point. Yeah, so I'll, gi I'll give you two different examples, one from B2C and one B2B from existing clients. We have a, a B2C client that is a concussion treatment center in Provo, Utah. Their, their goal, they basically help people who have had long-term concussion problems and, and they run them through a, a one-week in-person treatment where they take an fMRI of the brain, see where it's damaged, and then run them through a series of exercises. And then they run them through an fMRI at the end of the week and they see how much the, the series of 
neuroplasticity exercises helped the brain improve. So if a content marketer was just doing this without doing the customer research, they might think, oh, I'll just go after concussions or concussion symptoms. It seems to be somewhat on the topic. But what we realized is that the best customer for them is not someone who recently got a concussion. It's and and it's not it's also not someone who's just had one concussion. The best customers are typically someone who has had multiple cushion, concussions over the period of their life. They've been suffering from symptoms for 10 years. It can range from depression, anxiety, not being able to be in public places, concussion headaches, like they have constant headaches over the period of their lives. Oftentimes these people think that these are just things they're just medical problems that they've just grown accustomed to having. They, they don't think that they're solvable. And again, like headaches or anxiety or depression, oftentimes people don't relate this to, I had a concussion when I was younger. They just think this is something that they're going to have to live with for the rest of their life. So from a pain point perspective, one, we came across this keyword that's called post-concussion syndrome. And that syndrome is specific to people that have had concussions multiple times. And so rather than just going after the keyword concussion or concussion syndrome, uh, concussion symptoms or anything like that, we wanted to focus on post-concussion syndrome because there's very few treatments for this. And anyone who's searching for this is actually pretty knowledgeable on the topic. They've probably done a, a bunch of research. They've been to a bunch of doctors before. And then we also wanted to focus on some of these symptoms for people that have had concussions for a long period of time, as well as telling stories of people who had these symptoms that were, they thought were unsolvable and, and then going to the treatment and show how they got better. So that's an example of just, if we hadn't gone into their clinic, so we actually flew to Provo, Utah, we talked to their doctors, we talked to some of the people that had been in treatment. And we learned that there were just common issues that these people faced that were people that would have the highest impact from treatment. And so we went on, on those. And so even post-concussion syndrome, we have a post that's ranking, I think, number three or four for that right now. Multiple concussions is another keyword that performs really well for them uh, from a conversion perspective. And so it's those keywords that are specific to having multiple concussions that lead to higher conversions compared to anything else that we we focus on for them. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing. And and as a as an aside, yeah, concussions, multiple concussions. I've I think there's there's been research made recently in in American football and in rugby as well for for Europe in particular, showing that multiple concussions in in a in a row can lead to devastating effects, uh, including uh, like societal thoughts and crazy fucking stuff. Like there's famous players who kill themselves because of it. Uh, and it's it's not that well understood. So it's, I'm glad you mentioned that and as as a way, because, you know, when, when I talk about what I do for a living to some people who don't understand it, they, they see marketing to be advertising. And yet those are those type of stories that are what marketing truly is. You genuinely help people to get better because you know they have a problem they find they find the solution and, and and they get better after all so thanks for mentioning this those are great examples of specific pain points that are not just the generic leading keyword and so share with me another one like a b2b company as you mentioned yeah so we had worked for with lead feeder for a period of two years uh, or over two years 
And same kind of thing. So when we first started working with them, their messaging on, on their website, I think they were they positioned themselves as a lead generation tool. Essentially what the product itself did is it just tells you, it uses reverse IP lookup to tell you what companies are on your website so that you can use that as sales intelligence. So let's say if you had sent cold emails to a number of companies or you had sent emails to prospects, you could also see what pages that they were viewing on the website after the email went out. So you have that kind of sales intelligence so you could follow up with targeted messages, try to convert um, some of the customers that are on your website. So again, I think if you were just thinking of keywords, if, if you had just gone off their messaging and stuff like that, you, you might go after like lead generation. Even before we had started working with them, they went after terms like B2B marketing, B2B sales, a lot of those terms just didn't result in conversions because, again, if you have to think about B2B sales, if you own that keyword, what is the person trying to achieve? Like, what is the intent of that keyword? It's not really that clear, you know? And so to get way more targeted, we went through this whole exercise with, with our team. And then we tried to get very specific use cases around what people are are searching for on their website. And so some of the, the keywords and, and topics that ended up working, trying to think of some examples. So like even, even long tail stuff's like how to figure out what customers are on my website or customer or visitor identification software, like things like that. It's, it's, it's more of the very specific terms instead of just going broad at, at a lot of these lead gen or, or marketing tools terms. I, th- I find that often people think of like, let's just go after marketing tools or something like that. But even within marketing tools, this is a very specific subset of a marketing tool and, there, and it has very specific use cases. And so the key was trying to uncover what those specific use cases are. And even if they didn't have search volume, ranking for, for those specific terms, because we knew if someone was searching for something that specific, that this product was going to be the best solution uh, for their problem. And those long tail, no search volume keyword terms converted at a much higher percentage uh, and drove way more customers than going after terms like B2B sales, B2B marketing, account like ABM, like account-based marketing. Those are just kind of like the high level terms, but it really didn't indicate how, how this product tied to them or what the intent of the searcher was when they were searching for those keywords. And so their their strategy prior was kind of owning all of these broader keywords. And we have conversion graphs on our site that show the difference between some of these blog posts that got 10,000, 12,000 visitors a month that were going after the term B2B sales and ranking in the top three spots. It converted way less than things that got a tenth of the traffic. And so it's just the importance of really diving into the use cases, the problem that the customers have, and then targeting content towards those versus some of these higher volume keywords that are more sexy from a traffic perspective, yeah. but don't really convert. But, and that's the key, right? I think, I think marketers are usually faced with a choice in terms of priority, what to focus on, and they get really attracted to this, oh, this keyword has 50,000 search volume a, a month and what if we rank number one for this you know it could generate so much so much traffic for us but they really forget about the you know the, the emotional labor required to understand your customer so well that you can write 
stuff for them when they are genuinely looking for something very close to you, right? And so the long tail is, is exactly what it is, right? If you're listening to this podcast right now, you visualize this, this curve that starts very high, exponential to the left, and then very, very sharply decline. And then the long tail is like the small, the rest of the, of the graph, but the rest of the graph is very meaty when you add that up together. And that's my, my, the same experience with content multiple times where sometimes we didn't even have any evidence of volume, you know, like when you look at Moz or Ahref or all of the search engine optimization software tells you that this keyword doesn't exist, you know? And for example, there's a, a blog post I wrote three years ago, which is on how to analyze open-ended questions, right? No fucking search, no volume, no evidence whatsoever. I love that topic. We, we are getting like 1,500 to 2,000 search visits a month to this uh, number and we're number one and there is no evidence so i think this is what it comes to when you do the emotional labor of truly understanding your customers you unlock value that goes beyond just doing the lazy work of just going through your seo software ranking by volume popularity difficulty and then go for it right i think this is kind of what you're talking about i want to go yeah. a bit more specific sure <laughs> because i think i think there's one layer down which is you talk about use cases you talk about problems you talk about pain points and the premise of this of this of this episode is really about the the pain points specifically so how do you how do you structure that so that you turn uh, like raw data into a ready a list of keywords that you're going to go after like the use cases versus the pain points how do you juggle them together yeah i'll give you an example just from our own company, so grow and convert. So, again, if if you were think if you were an outside agency, you might think that the keyword content marketing is is valuable. We always use this example because it would be ridiculous for us to go after the keyword content marketing. One who is searching for something like that? No, no real marketer who's inside of a company who could potentially use our service is searching for stuff like that. Because why would you search content marketing? It's like you're trying to learn about the topic. You're trying to write a research paper on it. There's no point for us to rank for that. However, that's typically what most people would think to go after. Content marketing, content marketing strategy, all that kind of stuff. When you talk to different customers, and so we have multiple mechanisms to get feedback from customers to try to figure out what their main challenge is. So if anyone subscribes to our email list, the, the first thing that they get is a an email just giving a little bit of background on the company. And it just says, hey, we want to get to know you. Can you tell us your number one challenge in content marketing? No one has ever just said content marketing or something like that. It's always these very specific challenges, such as how to attribute leads to content marketing, how to drive more traffic to, to blog posts. I, I have a lot of content, but none of it's converting. Why is that? Um, there's all these very, very specific problems that we see come up multiple, multiple times. And so what we do is we collate all those responses and we look for patterns basically in what people are saying. And then we go to Google suggested search and, and start typing out some of these questions or pain points and see what people are searching for around this topic. And then we try to pair this question or this pain point that people had to a keyword that has some volume and that relates to the intent. And so that's kind of the process that we walk through to pair this customer research to real keywords. And for the B2B space, if you're like an agency or something like that, 
sometimes success is getting something that has a volume of 10 or 20 that has the right intent versus like a SaaS product in the B2B space, something like 70 or 100 is really good for us if it has the direct buying intent. And so that's just kind of the process that we use. So it all stems from long form responses to to questions or, or people listing out the problems that they have. And then basically taking those and trying to think through if I was a customer, if I was the same customer and I was searching for an answer to this problem, what are the various keywords or phrases or questions that I would type into Google to get an answer? And then we're, we're using tools like ClearScope, Google suggested search to kind of back into this. And then basically the next indication of what the right keyword is, is just looking at the top 10 responses, or sorry, the top 10 search results in Google to see does the intent of the keyword match what people are writing about? And if so, can we produce a better article than anything else in the search results? And that's kind of just the process that we go to, to take a lot of this customer research, turn it into content ideas, and then also prioritize them. When we prioritize them, we're not really looking at things like competition or a lot of these things that that marketers use. It's truly, does this intent match what the product solves for or the service solves for? And then can we just write something better than anything out there? I don't pay attention to any of these competition scores or anything like that, even like domain authority really, because oftentimes you'll find that a lot of the the, res, the articles that rank in the top results don't exactly match the intent of the query. And so if you write something that's a lot more specific and you just go deeper and tr- truly try to create a better piece of content, oftentimes you can outrank some of these top sites out there. And, and the example I'll give on that is the same concussion treatment center. When we first started with them, we thought it was going to be nearly impossible to get their content to rank. Why? Because going after a keyword like multiple concussions, we were going after sites like Healthline, the CDC, WebMD, Mayo Clinic, all these content-based medical sites that you've heard of forever that have domain authority of like 80 or 90 that you just think is going to be near impossible to rank. But if, if you think about those sites, I highly doubt that they're talking to a doctor who has been doing research specific to concussions their entire life, who has way more information to say on this topic than just some standard doctor. And by interviewing those subject matter experts and just being way more comprehensive, we found that we could outrank all of these sites. And now we have number one positions for a lot of these keywords and outrank WebMD and the health lines and everything. I think for two reasons, because we have better subject matter expertise and we're just way more specific in what we're writing about. And this is the key, right? And, and if you're listening to this right now, you, you, you've been listening to this episode for 40 minutes and I'm glad you stayed on because this is probably one of the single most important lesson in marketing, content marketing in general, the two things you mentioned there, relying on subject matter expert, instead of just coming up with articles yourself, if you have no fucking clue about the subject, do act like a journalist. That's what journal- good journalists do. They, they interview people who know their shit about something. That's it. Some people have dedicated their life to 
for your example, to concussions, right? And the second one is specificity. And this is something I've done on the podcast for the last uh, almost four years. Every episode is about one topic and we go in depth. It's not about talking about like Benji, talking about every single fucking topic on content marketing in a very shallow way. And that's why people like it, right? So those two things are incredibly important for content marketing and marketing in general. And I wish more people uh, knew that. And thank you for mentioning that. To to go back a bit to, to what you said. So you... You look at the pain points in the words of the customer. You search for those in Google. Like you look at the auto-suggest suggestion at the bottom. You kind of do investigative work. What type of keywords relate to this pain point? And then you look at the volume. Like is there actual people searching for it or not? And you kind of prioritize this way. Is it a severe pain point? Is it directly related to our product or is it kind of far away from it, which is the intent thing? And then is, is there potential for it? And then you hedge your bets, as you, as you mentioned at the start, you, you kind of build a portfolio of bets to say, we are fairly certain that this keyword is good, is popular and closely related to this product. And so therefore we should absolutely write it right now. Um, I'm, I don't want to cover too much the writing process. What I'm interested in is the step after, right? The promotion side, which is something that you also kind of have a process for. Now we don't necessarily have crazy amount of time to to talk about it but i'm pretty sure you can highlight maybe the one or two things that you do that really genuinely help to to get articles to be seen by people who who need to see them yeah so again when we started the agency this was another problem that we wanted to solve because when i had talked to other agencies out there most of them just said oh if you give us access to your social media accounts we'll tweet it out or share it on Facebook for you. And I didn't really think that did anything. And then the SEO agencies are just SEO agencies and that takes a long time to see results. So as an agency, it's going to be hard to keep a client unless you make them sign your contracts right from the beginning, because you're going to have to play the Google waiting game. And so we wanted to rethink content promotion. So we think about it in two ways, short-term tactics and, and long-term. The short-term, in the beginning, we experimented a lot with community content promotion. So the concept behind this is find existing communities that already have your target audience in them and just share the content in those places because someone has already done the work to build this audience. And it's easier for you to insert yourself in the conversation there and tap into those existing community of, of people than it is for you to go build an entire community yourself. So that worked really well. So in the beginning, we used Facebook groups, Reddit, inbound, growth hackers, all these different types of communities to do that. Quickly, that just became unscalable as we grew the agency. And so then we started experimenting with stuff on the paid side. So right now, we mainly use Facebook. There's three different things that we do on Facebook. Uh, one is just advertise to cold audiences. So based on all that information we get from the user research, we use behavior and interest targeting to, to try to get in front of the right people. The second thing that we do is lookalikes. So we'll create a lookalike off of a sign-up page or some high-value page on the website and then advertise the articles in front of that audience. And then the last thing we do is straight retargeting. That gives us an initial surge of traffic in the very beginning of the engagement. And it also lets us test which articles convert. So even if we created something that was supposed to go after a keyword, oftentimes we'll see conversions come from the paid side. And that gives us a good indication that if we were to get this article into a top spot for the same keyword, that this article will convert. 
and so we prioritize our link building resources, which is a longer term tactic that I'll get to in a second, from indications on what's working on the paid side. Another thing that we've been experimenting with in the last two or three months is Twitter advertising. I don't know really anyone that's been talking about this recently. It's something that I tried two or three years ago. The platform was horrible and they didn't have really good targeting options. We recently decided to start testing this again in May and it's showing really promising results. Like click costs are comparable with Facebook and we're seeing way higher quality leads come from it. And the thinking there was, where am I getting most of my content? Where am I connecting with most of the people in the industry? It's all happening on Twitter. I really don't go anywhere else to discover new information on marketing or just other topics now. And so basically we just had the hypothesis to start testing there. And then one thing that we did was we looked through, we looked back through the conversion data and tried to figure out which articles we're already showing likelihood to convert on Twitter. And we started with those articles to test there. And in the last couple months, we've accelerated the amount of leads that we're getting from that channel and it's working really well. The last thing that's in an experimental stage right now is testing Google AdWords for content promotion with Mm -hmm. not the goal of driving traffic. I think the traffic is gonna come from Facebook and Twitter However, I haven't really seen anyone advertise articles in Google Ads. Google Ads is typically seen as a direct response channel and people only want landing pages. However, we've done some recent experiments where we advertise an article in Google Ads and it converts at a a pretty high percentage. And so we're debating right now whether to add this as part of our service. Just the thinking is always trying to get better and better results from, from our work. And because I haven't seen anyone else do this, and if you just think about the, the top search results, if, if you saw two landing pages and then one article for the same keyword that educated you about this topic and was able to go into depth explaining, basically making the argument in a written blog post about why you should use a product or how to solve this problem, I think it's way more valuable to the searcher than just sending someone to a thin landing page. And so that's something that we'll experiment with uh, probably in the next couple of months here. So that's very interesting because social media in general and, and to find to find where people hang out and to truly be in front of a lot of people, it's pay to play, right? It's It's just the reality of the game. And you've tried, as you said, a few years ago to do it very organic and one-to-one community outreach and like you're just posting in community, replying to comments, going very depth, in-depth. But as you said, it's not scalable. And paying like pay-to-play is interesting. What what I suspect is even more interesting here is because of the specificity of the of the pieces you talk about, right? It's actually quite, it could be quite cheap on Google AdWords, for example, to, to, to target those. For Facebook ads, if you go to a very, very specific niche because you've done the emotional labor of understanding your customers, again, it's likely to be cheaper. Twitter ads is, is, is also a, a good example. But regardless of the platform, I think the learning here is if you're listening to this episode in 2025, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's trying to go and put those pieces in front of people very, very quickly so you can see whether it performs and unpaid ads in general, whether it's social or not, is kind of the best way to go about it. I don't I don't think there'll be in five years time or, or 10 years time, a different way to go about it. So thanks for sharing that. And then you wanted to mention the long-term stuff before uh, yeah. before we, we stop this interview. So tell the me long, The long-term tactics is really just SEO. So we use ClearScope as a way to, to optimize 
all, all the content for on-page prior to publishing. And so again, if we're going after a very specific keyword, that just helps us make sure that we have all the, all the right entities in, in the blog post to give us the best chance to rank. And then on the link building side, we're not, we're not like a massive link building company. I think before this, I had maybe the preconceived notion that you needed a lot of links to get an article to rank for a specific topic. And I just kind of realized that's not true testing this ourselves. And so we basically publish an article, let it sit for three weeks to a month just to see where it, it ranks on its own. If the site has a really strong domain authority, oftentimes we can get it to rank without really any link building at all. However, if it is a little bit more competitive, then we'll just build one link at a time to the article. And oftentimes it doesn't take more than a few links to get it to rank for the, the keyword that we're going after. And I think part of that is because, again, we're going after more specific long tail keywords that aren't as competitive and two, just the content is better typically than most of the other search results. So it doesn't really take that much. And, and the way that we do that is uh, we work with a, a link building subcontracting agency and they write guest posts on sites in the industry and, and basically build a targeted link just to that article. And and yeah, and so and then it's really not a high volume game at all. It's it's very targeted. So we don't build that many links per month, but we find the combination of basically figuring out a more specific keyword to target that has high intent, writing a way better blog post than anyone else on the topic, and then just giving it a couple links gives us a, a, a way better advantage than most of the people in this space. And so that's kind of the process and how we think about it. Benji, thanks so much for sharing all of those this knowledge and lesson learned and mistake made and this step-by-step. -step. I think people listening to this episode get a lot of value from it uh, because you went uh, very specific into it, which is a lesson in itself. Uh, before I let you go, what is uh, what are the top three resources you'd recommend people listening? Wow. Our own or, or outside of that? So you can mention your own and then you can add three on top of that. Okay. Yeah, so... If you want to just learn more about our content strategy and how we think, I would recommend reading the, the post on Painpoint SEO on our site. We also have two case studies that share both of the examples that I talked about, so lead feeder and uh, cognitive. So I would recommend reading those for way more in-depth on, on each of those companies and how we approached it. Uh, we also have a course that kind of just teaches our whole process. We just launched it a month ago. So if you really wanted videos that explain how to do keyword research and how to do this user research and promotion and all that kind of stuff, even how to write blog posts, that's all in there. Three resources outside of that. Personally, I, I get all of my ideas and thinking from books and it's kind of reading books and just trying to, trying to get like one or two ideas that I can take back and test. The books that have made the biggest impact on my life and probably as a marketer, I think Think and Grow Rich is just a good one just to get in the right mindset. And it just kind of talks through basically how if you think something can happen, it, it can. And I think that's a good mindset to get into when you're first starting out as an entrepreneur or as a marketer. The next biggest book that shifted my thinking was probably The Lean Startup. So a lot of the stuff that we talked about today uh, in content marketing or business is, is the idea of customer research, testing, coming up with a hypothesis, testing, and then scaling what works. That whole framework of growth marketing or anything like that comes from that book. 
Uh, and so I think it's just a really good book to read. So you don't waste time building things that people don't want. The last two books I will say is, is on psychology. One is Contagious by Jonah Berger. And the, the other one is uh, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. I'd say the combination of the business and then the psychology really helps you just become a better marketer, I think. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for all of your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Uh, if people want to talk to you directly or send you an email, how can they find you? Yeah, just on Twitter. I'm super active there and I typically respond to everyone. So uh, it's just at Benji Haim, B-E-N-J-I-H-Y-A-M. Well, Benji, once again, thank you so much. Thanks. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.